Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I'm your host, who is 
taking a bit of much needed time off. I'm recording this beforehand and I'm I'm just very excited. Anyway, I'm Liv. That's right. Today is the first of two re-airing episodes that I am presenting you with so that I could take a couple of weeks for myself and also to work on my novel and another project I can't talk about yet. You'll appreciate both when they're finally in the world, I'm sure. And so I decided to re-air two parts of what has to be my favorite series of episodes, at least when it comes to writing and researching them, because they were just so much fun. Every bit I researched was worse than the bit that came before. Yes, it is the man I love to hate, the worst man of all Greek mythology, even worse than Jason, Theseus. The thing about Theseus is he's just so much fun to write about because there's so much content, such an epic storyline. It's all utterly wild and so messed up. Today's episode is a re-airing of two parts of the four-part story that I covered last year, though of course last year we also wove in a lot of Minoan backstory episodes, um, so if you want to hear more, you can refer back to basically most of the episodes from April, May, and July of last year. That's the whole collection of Minoan bull myths, labyrinthine stories, and the worst of Theseus. Today, though, a compilation of parts one and three, Theseus the serial killer, because that one's so fun, and Theseus the man who abandons women on islands after they help him defeat monstrous creatures, the highlights of the best guy. Before we get to that, though, an announcement. As I mentioned last week, I am going to be running a book giveaway to celebrate four goddamn years of this podcast. So here is the deal. First, all of the terms and details of the giveaway are available at mythsbaby.com slash giveaway. Next, there are three parts to this giveaway. One is specific to Patreon, so if you want to be entered there too, head over to Patreon and become a patron. There's much better odds over there. If not, though, listen up. There will be also entries via email and Instagram, and all three places will have a signed book and some merch awarded via those giveaways for a total of three books and three pieces of merch. Again, the details are on mythsbaby.com giveaway. So at around 9 a.m. Pacific today, July 6th, I will be posting the giveaway on Instagram and Patreon. Check out those posts for more details. Unfortunately, I am only able to open the giveaway to those living in the US and Canada. That's just because shipping anywhere else is way too expensive. I'm doing this myself and for three, unfortunately, I've got to limit it. But still, I have got a fun thing for you to do if you live outside of those two countries. So the gist of this anniversary celebration is that I want to hear your favorite moments from the podcast, your favorite stories, quotes, just moments overall, rants, anything. 
you will have the chance to enter the giveaway on Patreon by commenting on the post with this favorite moment or quote or whatever, on Instagram by commenting the same, or by emailing me your favorite moment, quote, rant, whatever, with the subject line, giveaway. Provided you supply me with your favorite anything, you will be entered to win, provided, again, you live in US and Canada. One per person, but you can enter via all three platforms if you want. The giveaway winner will be chosen randomly, but the moments that you're sending me are a totally separate thing and will be selected by me for inclusion in this anniversary episode. Again, the giveaway is only open to those in US and Canada, but I will have other posts for everyone to share their favorite moments regardless of where you live. You can also share yours via email with the subject line, fave moment. As for all of these moments, I'm going to pick my favorite ones in terms of the content you suggest or your comments and messages explaining why it's your favorite or whether or not you've made it easy for me to find the moment in the episode because I will be airing these clips uh, on the podcast for this special anniversary episode alongside some of my own favorite moments. A lot of it's Theseus hate. What can I say? I will be shouting out your first name or your handle along with your favorite moment. So it's kind of an opportunity for you to be featured on the podcast as well. The giveaway contest will close at midnight on July 19th and people will be notified shortly after. But again, the details are on the website I mentioned. But for your favorite moment to be included in the anniversary episode, which will air on July 20th, I need to have it by about July 17th. Once more, for the giveaway, details are at mythsbaby.com slash giveaway. And now, ugh, Theseus. This is episode 78 Theseus and all the people he killed while taking a walk. Theseus Part 1 After Scylla causes the downfall of her city, Megara, because of her love for Minos, that almost certainly came from a goddess's curse and not a rational human emotions, Minos wins his battle against Megara. But according to some sources, he doesn't head straight back to Crete. Instead, the war against Attica as a whole continues to wage on. Eventually, still hell-bent on defeating Athens for the death of his son Androgios, Minos eventually prays to his father, Zeus. He asks Zeus for help in defeating Athens, and Zeus listens. Minos is his son, after all. You'll remember, Europa is Minos's mother from the time Zeus kidnapped and raped her. You remember, that age-old tale. Before long, all of Greece is being hit almost constantly with earthquakes, shaking the whole of the region and causing endless damage. This is Zeus's punishment for the death of Androgios, and the oracle tells them as much when the kings of the region assemble in Delphi to ask what they can possibly do to calm the gods and stop the earthquakes. And this is how the Athenians start offering seven boys and seven girls to Crete every nine years to appease and fill the belly of the Minotaur, Asterion, the half-man, half-bull monster, 
hidden away in his labyrinth in Knossos. But more on that later. Before we get into the madness that is the Minotaur and his labyrinth, we must get back to pregnant Ethra in Trozen, left behind by Aegeus, who returned to Athens for the Panathenaic festival and to continue trying to hold on to his power against his brothers and nephews. Ethra gives birth to a child of Aegeus, or more likely Poseidon, because it seems to me that Aegeus didn't have the best swimmers, but Poseidon lets him have it. Ethra's child is, you guessed it, a boy. Aegeus gets what he'd hoped for, an heir. Aethra names him Theseus, or maybe he wins that name later in Athens, it's unclear, but we will call him Theseus because what the fuck else would I call him? We all know this man so well, this guy destined to be the hero I forever refer to as the shittiest one. In reading Plutarch's Life of Theseus, I do want to emphasize Theseus's lineage, even ignoring the implication that he could be the son of Poseidon. Theseus is, on the one hand, the son of Aegeus, who is descended from the founders of Athens, the original people of that land, Erechtheus, those who began Athens from nothing and were worshipped for it. And on the other side, he's the son of Aethra, a daughter of Pythias, who is descended from Pelops. Pelops is one of the most important figures in the history of the Peloponnese. It's where the peninsula and the mountain range gets its name. Pelops is at least as important as Erechtheus, making Theseus a child of mainland Greece, Attica, where Athens is, and the Peloponnesian Peninsula, where Sparta is. Theseus is, from birth, destined to be super fucking important. While his story didn't necessarily get passed down to us in the same way, he's in the vein of Heracles, in his lasting importance in Greece, but specifically Athens. He is, in a way, their Aeneas. The Athenians placed a similar level of deified importance on Theseus as the Romans did Aeneas. It's too bad. He was such an ass. Aethra's father, Pythias, takes to spreading the rumor that the child is, in fact, the son of Poseidon, just as we guessed. As for Pythias, it's far more thrilling to have a grandson that's the child of a god rather than plain old mortal Aegeus. The truth is trickier. Perhaps he's a little of both. You know Greek mythology. Super weird shit happens in almost all instances of impregnation. While Theseus is growing up in Trozen, he's instructed by the best and lives among the best. It's said that when Theseus is a child, the most famous hero himself, Heracles, visits Trozen. Heracles is actually a cousin of Theseus. Pythias, Theseus's grandfather, is Heracles's uncle. Of course, when a cousin hero like Heracles visits your palace, you hold a feast to rival all other feasts. So Heracles feasted there with Theseus and his family. He'd thrown off his famous lion skin, getting comfortable, and left it tossed over a stool. A group of children from the palace run in, and seeing the lion there, looking very real, if perhaps also quite dead and thin, lose their shit and run from the palace, screaming. All but one child, of course, Theseus, for this anecdote is about proving his bravery. He runs too, but he runs to get an axe from the woodpile and returns quite ready to attack this lion as a child, defending his palace. Honestly, to me, it sounds like just the beginning of the ego that will become Theseus, but it's meant to express the bravery and heroism that was naturally coursing through this child's veins. Theseus grows up in Trozen, not knowing who his father is, but one can assume, at least hearing the rumors his grandfather is spreading, that it's in fact a god, Poseidon, who is his father. 
Of course, in this world of mythology, it is one of the highest honors to be a son of a god, especially when the child has a cousin like Heracles, one who's around while he's growing up. Heracles is the epitome of what it can mean if your father is a god. He is Theseus's goals. Theseus grows up in this way, and we can only assume his ego grows larger every day. Until, when he is 16 years old, Theseus is of the age where he should make his first trip to Delphi. This is stated in Robert Graves as though it's something that's just done, to the extent that apparently during this trip, Theseus offers to Apollo his first, quote, manly hair clippings. This isn't something I can find anywhere else, but it's a bit entertaining, so I'm sharing it anyway. Regardless of what he does with his first hair clippings, this is proof that Theseus is old enough to be shown the rock. Yes, it's time. His mother, Ethra, leads Theseus to the rock of great fanciness, where, 16 years prior, Aegeus had hidden a sword and some old shoes. Sandals specifically, and they're not described as old, but you know, context clues. It was a spur of the moment. Aegeus wanted to make a point about caring for his future child only if it was, one, a boy, and two, strong enough to lift what I can only assume is a pretty fucking big rock. We'd probably say boulder, because rock doesn't really convey the gravity. Ethra leads Theseus there, and finally, for the first time in 16 years, she tells him the story of how he was born. She tells him who his father is and the instructions he'd left for his son. Move this rock, she says. Are you strong enough to move this rock? Then you're good enough for your father. That's right. Theseus moves the rock. A hero. A true and valiant hero. With the rock moved and the dirty old shoes and sword removed from where they were placed by Aegeus those 16 years ago, Theseus is ready to reach for his destiny. He's to travel to Athens, seeking his father and his rightful place as heir to the throne of Athens. But a hiccup. Theseus spent a little too much time around his cousin, old Heracles, and it's given him both a big head and a lust for the adventure Heracles talks of so often, and I can only assume in such detail. You see, when Theseus is to be sent to Athens to seek Aegeus, his mother Aethra and his grandfather Pythias plan to send him by ship. That's easiest, certainly, not to mention the fastest and safest way to travel. Trozen is on the Peloponnesian Peninsula, quite a ways down. It's a straight shot across the Saronic Gulf to Athens. Ship wouldn't even have to do much navigating, just right across the water. But that would be too easy for Theseus. He's out to prove himself, even if that means making stupid, self-destructive decisions. He wants to be the next Heracles, and in order to become as impressive and famous as Heracles, one must face obstacles. What obstacle is there in sailing a ship across to Athens? None. And that is not good enough for Theseus. Instead, he will travel by land. His mother and grandfather try very hard to convince him otherwise. It's not safe. It's fucking far. Endless arguments that should resonate with Theseus, but his ego is growing faster than his little bits of beard, and he's not down. No, he won't budge. He will travel by land. And let me tell you what that means. It means traveling halfway up the Peloponnesian Peninsula, which is fucking far. And then it means crossing across the Isthmus. You know I love that word, but I can't say it right now. The Isthmus at Corinth. 
Then it means traveling all the way from Corinth to Athens, about the same distance as Trozen to Corinth, it would take days and days, maybe weeks, to travel on foot. But Theseus is a hero, damn it, so he will do it. Thus, Theseus begins his journey to Athens. As expected right from jump, he's encountering all sorts of people that are translated sometimes as miscreants, basically people causing trouble in one way or another, and whom Theseus can maim or kill and make himself feel like he's reaching Heraclean levels of heroism. According to Plutarch, Theseus set out not to harm anyone, except also to punish those who directed violence towards him, Contradictory, perhaps, but such is Theseus. First, in Apodarus, Theseus encounters Periphetes, who's a troublemaker with a club. Periphetes, it seems, tries to stop Theseus in his journey. And that, oh, that was violence enough! Theseus wrestles away the man's club and, you guessed it, clubs him with it. From then on, Theseus carries with him a club, becoming more and more like the heroic cousin by the hour, just like Heracles. Forever wore his Nemean lion skin as proof for having killed the animal, Theseus carries his club in evidence of the first man he did away with. Plus a bonus is Heracles also had a club. Next, on the Isthmus, a word again I love, and this time I said it, Theseus encounters another bandit, a troublemaker, a murderer really, named Sinis. Sinus, you'll definitely remember from the original brief Theseus episode, but I'm telling you again because I love it. So Sinus is a guy who, for absolutely no discernible reason, has taken to killing people he encounters in an incredibly specific and so creative way. They call him the Pine Bender. Why? He bends pines. Sinus takes anybody who might come across his path and he lashes each end of them to two trees, bending the trees with what I assume must be some kind of insane superhuman strength. He bends the pine trees over, reaching them together, so they're there, you know, bent. And then he ties your arms to one bent tree, your legs to the other. And then he lets go. The trees spring back up, ripping you completely in half and flinging whatever bits rip off in endless directions, skin, blood, Everything flying every which way. I literally just hit my microphone, keeping it in. And why? Truly no idea. What does Theseus do? Well, an eye for an eye, they say. Theseus does to Sinus what he's been doing to whoever happened to come upon him. Again, for a guy who'd like to think he didn't set out specifically for violence, he found it pretty easy to tie this guy to two bent pine trees and then let go. Plutarch is incredibly impressed by this, noting that Theseus was able to use Sinus's tree-bending contraption, for it seems it was a contraption, without any training at all. He used the same murder device to murder the murderer, all with his own natural skill and valor. Oh, Theseus, a king among kings. But Sinus also had a daughter. She, not surprisingly, runs for her dear life, when Theseus catches her father and begins to use his own murder contraption on him. Fear not, though. Theseus chases after her, and 
promising that he will not hurt her or do anything wrong to her at all, she's convinced to leave her hiding place amongst, according to Plutarch, wild asparagus. And Theseus has sex with her. She bears him a child named Melanippus, and then he gives her away to someone else and continues on to Athens. True to Greek mythology and history, this doesn't seem to be treated as Theseus breaking his promise not to do her any harm. He gave her away. So what? She's property, after all. Interestingly, Theseus' story is one of the only ones that proposes this idea that there are just large numbers of truly horrific people just living it up. I don't know, in a forest? Like some sort of troll under a bridge, just waiting for people to wander there so they can brutally kill them for no reason? I'm not saying I don't believe Theseus. I'm just saying it's awfully convenient that he seems to have lived in this very brief time where there were just so many people he comes across that deserve the punishment he was very happy to give them in order to prove his heroism. I mean, even if these people were just out here, like, stealing from people they came across, like, why tie somebody to two different trees in order to steal from them? Just steal from them. The trees are an overkill, I would say. Anyway, though, there are more, lending more credence to this argument of mine. On the borders of Megara, Theseus kills a guy named Skiron. Skiron. Well, Skiron's an interesting guy, too. In the vein of Sinus, but funnier, if you can believe it. It's said that Skiron has a habit of stopping people who pass him by. He'd stick out his feet to the strangers he encountered and, well, he'd have the strangers wash his feet. While they're washing his feet, he would kick them off a cliff. What? Another example of a very unrealistic situation that was just conveniently there so that Theseus could feel righteous in killing another person. I mean, one, why would people stop and wash this guy's feet? Did he threaten them in some way? Is this a practice in ancient Greece that I'm not aware of? Washing strangers' feet on the road? And again, why is it only Theseus's world where there exists all these people who are just out there killing random strangers on the road? There are no other stories of this. Yet Theseus encounters more than one just on his trip from Trozen to Athens. Truly, I love it about as much as I hate Theseus because the stories are absurd. Most heroes are out here killing Nimian lions or Larnian hydras or Caledonian boars. Not Theseus. He's here killing dudes who use trees to rip people to shreds and kick people off cliffs while they're having their feet washed. I say again, a noble and valiant hero. Next up, a guy with the incredible name of Procrustes. If anyone's going to be a weird bandit on the road killing strangers, it's a guy named Procrustes. Procrustes is creative too, much like our preceding weirdos, Sinus and Skiron. Procrustes, you might remember from our first dive into Theseus, had this iron bed. Sounds innocuous, right? No? I guess not when we're talking about psycho weirdos named Procrustes. Anyway, Procrustes has this iron bed, And the people he comes across and wants to kill, again, because these run rampant in the stories of Theseus, he takes them and puts them on this bed, and he makes them fit. Are you short? Is there extra space at the top of the bed when Procrustes lies you down? No problem. He's got stretchers. He'll stretch the fuck out of you, pulling all your joints out of their sockets in order to make you long enough to fit his bed. Alternatively, are you too tall? He's got a solution for that, too. He'll just cut off whatever's extra. You didn't need your hands and forearms, anyway. Ankles? Who needs them? Not the people who come across Procrustes. 
You'll see this coming, but Theseus gives old Procrustes a taste of his own medicine. As Edith Hamilton notes, quote, The story does not say which of the two methods was used in his case, but there was not much to choose between them, and in one way or the other, Procrustes' career ended. I just can't stop thinking about the fact that Theseus is the only one who encounters people like this. Like, I'm sure there were bandits, you know, there always were in times like this, like people on the road fucking with shit, stealing your crap, and I'm sure murderers. But the creativity and the volume is what I take issue with. I think... Theseus was a sociopathic con man who just killed all these random people in order to make himself seem heroic when he arrived in Athens. Theseus doesn't stop at murdering the murderers, though, either. According to Plutarch, he also has a moment where he thinks to himself, Now, if I'm going to be a hero like Heracles, I really shouldn't just be reacting, killing the killers I come across. No, I should be branching out, looking at other forms of heroism. Basically, he's realizing what I already pointed out. Other heroes don't just kill randos they come across. Actually, most of them don't kill many humans at all. Go find a monster, Theseus. So what does he do? He hears of a cow. Yes, a cow. They call her the Chromionian sow. This is just because of where she comes from, but it sounds more ominous. Plutarch notes that the cow is fierce, but there's no information on what this ferocity results in, nor why this creature requires being sought out and killed by Theseus. For this is what he does. He goes, he finds the cow, he kills the cow. This is meant to be another example of his heroism. But again, how? Why? Huh? By the end of his journey across southern Greece... Theseus has killed four people who allegedly were murdering people pretty often on the roads between Trozen and Athens. A likely story. And a cow that seems to have done little to nothing wrong. But as we all know, this is just the beginning for Theseus. I mean, all of this happened while he was walking from his hometown to his dad's town. Theseus arrives in Athens... But he doesn't go straight to Aegeus, explaining that he's his son and he's got the dirty old shoes and the sword from under the rock. No, instead, he wants to just bask in his glory for a while. Because, of course, the people of Athens have heard about this new hero who would rid the region of so many miscreants. Now, this is when my theory that Theseus is a lying sociopath does encounter a hiccup. The people of Athens were thrilled he'd done this, so presumably they knew of those troublemakers, Skiron, Procrustes, the whole gang. But then again, they could have just heard about this hero who'd done all these great things. However they learned about Theseus, the people of Athens were thrilled. Who doesn't love a hero, other than the women they inevitably kidnap and or otherwise ruin? The people of Athens are so down to have a hero in town, and one who was Headed there, specifically, perhaps he'll be their hero? It's only right that when he gets to town, this new and exciting hero is invited to dinner with the king, Aegeus. Aegeus, though, isn't expecting his son. He lost track of time, you see, and it hadn't occurred to him that, chronologically speaking, it's likely he could be on the lookout now for his child. It was a 50-50 chance it was a boy, so it's not unrealistic to believe this hero, rolling up, all impressive, and very intentionally headed to Athens from afar, could be his son. 
But that doesn't make for a good story. So Aegeus doesn't suspect a thing. Instead, he fears that this hero may come to town all impressive and convince the people of Athens that maybe they'd rather he be their king instead of boring old Aegeus. And he can't possibly have that. But you might recall, at this point in the story, Aegeus isn't alone living in Athens. He's married since leaving Aethra, pregnant and chosen. You might remember his wife, Medea. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today, more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes and frauds to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from selected past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look, and HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com.
Where were we? Well, we were deep inside the insane and far more detailed than I led on in my earliest episodes of this podcast story of Theseus. Ugh, that guy. Theseus is already notorious by this point in our story. He'd traveled from Trozen to Athens to seek his father, Aegeus, and his place as prince of Athens. And along the way, he'd killed a bunch of random people that, we hope, were killers themselves. But honestly, with Theseus, who knows? He'd reached Athens and had a run-in with his new stepmother, Medea, the badass queen witch, who is now out of the picture and back to a nice life in her home country living her best life, I imagine. Theseus had then defeated the Marathonian bull, formerly the Cretan bull, best known as the father of the Minotaur with the queen of Crete, Pasiphae. And speaking of Crete, in our most recent new episode, we talked all about that fateful father-son duo, Daedalus and Icarus and their tragedy, but most importantly for this next story, the labyrinth. That is, the incredible maze built by Daedalus that not even he could find his way out of. The enormous, impassable labyrinth built with the explicit purpose of housing the Minotaur, keeping the monstrous, horrifying half-bull, half-man hidden away from prying eyes. And remember, the Minotaur is hungry. This is episode 82. What kind of hero abandons a princess on an island? Theseus and Ariadne. Oh, Theseus. Where we last left our so-called hero, he was about to set sail for Crete with 13 other young Athenians, six boys and seven girls, all bound for the same fate, to be released into the labyrinth so that they would become lost and, in time, found and fed on by the Minotaur, or just dying alone lost in a labyrinth. It wasn't an ideal fate, nor one particularly moral in nature. It seems that before Theseus set out officially, though, he also stopped at the Oracle of Delphi for whatever guidance he might get in his quest. Apollo, through his Pythia at Delphi, told Theseus to take Aphrodite as his guide. Aphrodite, of course, isn't often used to accompany mortals on quests, but Theseus is different. He loves ruining women. He does the necessary sacrifices for the goddess, and so she is with him on his journey. Theseus set sail, having promised, promised his father Aegeus, that should he succeed in killing the Minotaur and thus freeing the Athenians from any future need to sacrifice their young people to the monster, he would change the sails on his ship from black to white. This, Aegeus affirmed, repeatedly was vitally important. Aegeus, for his part, will stand on the cliffs of Athens, watching for his son's ship, and so he will know the moment it arrives on the horizon whether or not his son has survived. Such an easy thing 
to make his father's worry simply disappear. The young Athenians bound for sacrifice to the Minotaur sailed to Crete. Theseus among them, depending on which source you go with, Theseus is either disguised among the Athenians or, very obviously, Athens' prince who chose to go among them. Of course, in the latter case, the Minoans don't seem to find him a threat and believe he's decided to sacrifice himself for his city. They arrive and, according to one source, are paraded through the town, put on display to the people of Knossos as a show of the island's power. According to others, it's all very hush-hush, then the Binator is tucked away in the labyrinth, he's hidden both for the safety of the Minoans and out of the shame of Minos. In that case, I imagine, the Athenians too would have been somewhat hidden when they arrived. But however it happened, Theseus came upon one of the princesses of Knossos, a daughter of Minos and Pasiphae, and half-sister to the Minotaur himself, Ariadne. Ariadne's other sister is, importantly, Phaedra, but more on her later. Theseus came upon Ariadne, and she was taken with him. She wasn't a big fan of her life on Knossos. Her father had hidden her half-brother away in an enormous maze, and obviously her half-brother was himself a bit of an issue. She just wasn't particularly fond of her homeland, or at least some of her family. And so, when this handsome, strong, and seemingly brave prince of Athens arrived, Ariadne saw a way out of her situation, a way off the island, and hopefully to a better life. She fell for Theseus, whether out of a passionate love or straight opportunism, it doesn't really matter. The point is, she wants to leave Crete with this Athenian prince, and she's going to help make that happen. So before Theseus is set loose into the labyrinth, bound for death either at the hands of the Minotaur or from dehydration or starvation within the walls of the labyrinth, Ariadne comes to him. She comes to Theseus and tells him how she feels, that she desperately wants to leave Crete with him, and that in order to make this happen, she's going to help him make his way through the labyrinth and kill her half-brother, the Minotaur. Theseus, for his part, totally is down with Ariadne and promises her that should she help him and leave successfully with him, he will be with her always. Ariadne gives Theseus a spool of thread, and a sword. She tells him that the thread is his means in and out of the labyrinth. He's to fasten the thread somewhere at the entrance and slowly unwind it as he makes his way through the maze. This way he'll know if he's reaching the same spot twice and he'll be able to find his way back out again by following the thread. By giving him this thread and a sword, Ariadne basically makes herself the one and only reason Theseus survives the task. It's not always the case that the sword is given by her, but presumably they didn't let Theseus just carry his sword from Athens to create like normal. It only makes sense that he got it from her, or apparently the Minotaur is not always killed by a sword. But truly, based on what we know, I don't have a ton of faith in Theseus' abilities with his own hands. I mean, the dude has basically just done a lot of murdering with murderer's own weapons of, or means of killing at this point. He hasn't proven himself to be remotely close to Heracles when it comes to overall strength. Similarly, according to some, Ariadne is given the thread by Daedalus. But you know what? I prefer it to be all her own doing. It's not like the idea of using thread to find your way through a maze requires knowledge of how the thing got made. Anyway, we're giving credit to Ariadne and not to Daedalus. What exactly 
would he have done without Ariadne? In this part of the story, Theseus is so much like the asshole hero Jason. What would either of these men have done with themselves had they not had strong, intelligent women there to handhold them through the tasks they're now so famous for completing? With the help of Ariadne, Theseus successfully reaches the Minotaur in the labyrinth and slays it. With the use of the thread provided by Ariadne, Theseus and the other sacrificial Athenians are able to find their way back out of the labyrinth and, I can only assume, with the continued help of Ariadne, they all reach their ship without issue. The Minoans are kind of left out of the story of the Minotaur other than Ariadne. There's very little information on the role played by Minos here, let alone other Minoans. According to Robert Graves, though, there's this whole sequence of events post-Minotaur, but I'm not able to find a primary source for it. According to him, Theseus and Ariadne lead the Athenians to the harbor, two of the Athenians having killed guards. This requires, apparently, two of the young boy Athenians to have disguised themselves as girls. It's not clear why they didn't just use two of the seven boys. Seems weird to me and unnecessarily dismissive of the women. Anyway. In that case, he mentions some kind of naval battle before Theseus leaves, but again, I can find little reference to that in my source. He seems to be referencing Pausanias, whose book I don't have, but apparently need. But in any case, Pausanias is from the 2nd century AD, so he's not exactly an original Greek source. There is also an anecdote found in some sources about before Theseus killed the Minotaur, he and Minos having some kind of battle of the sons of gods, where Minos asks Theseus to prove he's the son of Poseidon, and Theseus asks Minos to prove he's the son of Zeus. There's some diving into the ocean and bringing something back up. It's all very dick-measuring contesty, but not particularly important to the story itself. But enough about the little bits and pieces of story available. Back to the real issue at hand. Theseus, Ariadne, and the Athenians have left off Crete and set sail. They next land on the island of Naxos. And Theseus's asshole behavior once again rears its shitty, stupid head. The group spends the night on Naxos, with Theseus and Ariadne getting right to business and consummating their so-called love, their dedication to each other, their pseudo-marriage, by having sex. Then, while Ariadne is sleeping, yeah, yeah, Theseus and the other Athenians simply sail off, leaving her there. Leaving Ariadne, who just single-handedly allowed Theseus to complete the entire mission he'd set out to do and kill the Minotaur without dying himself, either by the Minotaur or withering away in the labyrinth, in addition to giving up her entire family and home, he left her alone on an island, far, far away from her home island. Honestly, how Theseus can be this shitty in so many stories is so, so beyond me, and also, I love it. It's wildly entertaining, isn't it? And before anyone comes at me, yes, there are versions of this where he doesn't abandon her out of pure malice, though that is truly one version, and instead because he's beaten in some battle by Dionysus, who then takes her from him, or because Artemis kills her there. Yes, there are alternatives, but all of them having Theseus continuing on without Ariadne in one way or another. 
And one of the more widely accepted versions is, simply, he left her there. Because he's a giant, mind-blowing asshole. There's a work by Ovid called The Heroides. It's much less well-known than his classic Metamorphoses, but equally interesting in its own way. Ovid's Heroides, which I've mentioned in at least one past episodes, are entries by various people famous for their couplings, presented as letters by those people to their former significant others after one was ruined by the other. It's mostly women, but there are cases where classic couples each get their own entry. Letters from Helen to Paris and Paris to Helen, for example. Medea has an entry, Penelope to Odysseus, Briseis has an entry, and of course, Ariadne. Ariadne's letter to Theseus in Ovid's Heroides comes right after he's left her and before her fate is decided. Ariadne's story, spoilers, ends super well, but before it does, she takes her time to be incredibly furious and hurt by what Theseus has done. Or according to this translation I have by an old white man, quote, Ariadne is little more than a pitiful, if not despicable, victim of her own foolish infatuation. So if anyone has any better translations of the Heroides to suggest, my ears are wide, wide open. In her letter to Theseus, Ariadne retells the story of her abandonment on an empty island. How it felt to wake slowly, thinking you're in a situation of perfect bliss, accompanying this man on his journey home to Athens, where you'll be his wife and be safely far away from your family and all its bull-related drama. How it feels to wake drowsily and reach out for that man, only to find an empty space where he was only hours before. Ariadne, in her letter to Theseus, retells how she wandered Naxos, hoping still to find him, that he'd just gone elsewhere to prepare, maybe, that maybe he hadn't really left her completely alone on a strange island far from home, with absolutely no way of getting back. She talks about running across the sandy beach, calling out Theseus's name in vain, with only the rocks to hear her. She tells Theseus in her letter how she went to the highest place she could find, and that there, in the distance, she could still see his ship. She hoped it was some sort of horrible mistake. She flung her veil over a tree so that if anyone looked back, they could see it and return to fix what surely must have been a mistake. Ariadne's letter continues. From there, she lets herself fully realize what's happening, that she is completely alone in a strange place, that she's been abandoned. The tears flow, coming in gasps. Finally, once she's calmed, she wanders the island, describing herself wandering like a bacchant, awoken by the god Dionysus. A telling statement, given what will happen to Ariadne very soon. 
She goes through waves of emotions, wandering the island aimlessly before returning to the bed where she slept with Theseus, the last place she'd been with him before waking up alone. There she cries. Eventually, she turns to exactly what I've been saying this whole time. Where would Theseus have been without her? How quickly, how violently would he have died had she not given him the thread with which to find his way out of the labyrinth? She remembers the oath he swore to her, that he swore on those very same perils, that as long as he lived, he would be bound to her in love. Ariadne continues, wishing her brother Androgios were still alive, that none of this had happened. Were he alive, Minos wouldn't have waged war. The Athenians wouldn't have to sacrifice their youth to the Minotaur. None of this would have happened at all, and she would still be in her home with her family. She may not have loved them and everything about her life, but she'd choose it over abandonment on an empty island. Ariadne's letter in the Heroides is beautiful and heartbreaking and properly describes what Theseus did. She hates him more than I do. Fortunately, this horrifying fate of Ariadne doesn't last long. According to most interpretations of the myth, soon, it's said, she's visited on the deserted island of Naxos by a god, not Zeus or even Poseidon, not a god who's out to rape and ruin her just for being there, for being a woman. Ariadne is visited by the god of wine and partying and general good times, Dionysus. But that's not the only version of Ariadne's fate. In others, she tragically kills herself on the island, having been abandoned and alone so long. In another, like I mentioned, she's killed by Artemis, which leads me to, in one of my favorite books, The Marriage of Cadmus and Harmony, Roberto Colasso makes an interesting connection between Ariadne and a woman named Coronis. You may remember Coronis from my episode on Asclepius. She is his mother, and Apollo had Artemis kill her for having sex with a mortal after she'd been raped by a god. He connects it to the version of the myth of Ariadne where she too is killed by Artemis, but according to him, it's on the order of Dionysus. In terms of the mythology, it's a bit hard to track completely, but it's interesting. Colasso proceeds to drill down so deep into the both of their stories that he suggests that the man Coronis had sex with after being raped by Apollo was, in fact, Theseus by another name. It's fascinating shit, and as I've done before, I'd highly recommend you read that goddamn book because it's stunning. Colasso does, however, give Theseus a little too much credit for my liking, but then nobody's perfect. While there are many versions of the fate of Ariadne, or whether or not Theseus really did leave her there of his own accord, on his own malice, based on lots of evidence and my own desire to retell these stories in a specific way, as we continue on with the story of Ariadne, she was abandoned by Theseus and shortly after, visited by our favorite god, he who loves wine even more than I do, Dionysus. But much like Theseus, for now, we're going to leave Ariadne on the island of Naxos. Theseus without Ariadne, the woman who helped him stay alive, continued on home to Athens. 
The ship sailed, and Theseus concerned himself not with the woman he'd just abandoned, nor with the impending reunion he would have with his father Aegeus. We don't know what he thought about, but according to the sources I'm going with, he certainly wasn't thinking about either of them. They sailed and sailed until, finally, Piraeus, the port city of Athens, was finally in sight. The Athenians were absolutely elated. We don't hear enough about them those people accompanying Theseus on this whole journey, but it must have been pretty stressful to believe you were about to be sacrificed to an absolutely monstrous minotaur only for that to suddenly not be a thing. Then you leave a woman on an island because the asshole captaining your ship told you to, and finally, finally you see your home in the distance? I mean, what a relief. But they weren't the only ones looking out across that stretch of currently unnamed Mediterranean Sea. Aegeus, Theseus's father, who had only recently been reunited with his only son and was so very concerned for his well-being on this quest, was watching the seas on Piraeus with bated breath. He stood on those cliffs every day, looking out for the ship that would or would not be carrying his beloved son back to him. And finally, finally he saw a ship in the distance, at first he was excited. He had high hopes and so much faith in his so-called heroic son. Surely Theseus would have survived. He could see the ship in the distance, but it takes a moment or two before he can make out the color of the ship's sails. Its sails were, of course, of great importance. His son, his beloved son, Theseus, had sworn to him. He'd promised that he would change the colors of his sails to white if he survived the encounter with the Minotaur. But the ship Minos sees in the distance, the ship he knows with absolute certainty to be the one his son left Athens in, still had its original black sails. Aegeus was absolutely inconsolable. His son is dead. The sails on the ship have confirmed it. What would he do now? Theseus had come to him so late in life, finally bestowing on the king an heir, someone to carry on his name, but also the kingship of Athens itself. Without Theseus, Aegeus finds his life pointless. Why should he go on if he has to live knowing his son had died trying to save Athenian citizens? What a horrible death he must have suffered at the hands of the Minotaur. Aegeus can't stop himself from thinking about it, all of it, dwelling on it. He's a broken man. So, as he stares out at the ship and his black sails getting closer and closer to the shores of Piraeus, bringing with it only horrible news, Aegeus makes up his mind. He doesn't want to live without Theseus. There's no point. He's got nothing left. Aegeus throws himself from the cliffs overlooking the sea and lands in it. He was dead, but he'd given a name to that unnamed stretch of Mediterranean. It would be known as the Aegean, and still is. Greece even has an airline named after him now. Theseus, of course, had forgotten to change the sails on his ship. He was quite simply a selfish asshole who'd managed to forget the one thing that his father had made him promise, the one thing that would have made his poor father happy as he watched the ship approach, rather than utterly, completely heartbroken. Theseus is, as we all well know, just a complete asshole.
Oh, nerds. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to hear what you all have to say about your favorite moments or rants or what have you. And I can't wait to enter you into the giveaway for free signed books and merch. It is my first giveaway like this, so I'm excited to see how it goes so that I can hopefully give away signed books more often. Again, I am sorry I can only ship to the US and Canada, but it's just really fucking expensive. But fortunately, via those other posts and emails, you can still submit your favorite moments so you can still get featured on the podcast, no matter where you live. Four years. Holy hell. Anyway, thank you all. As always, you're the best. I couldn't have been doing this for four years without you. (sighs) Next week, frogs. I am Liv, and I love this shit. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today more than ever, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. And who has the time? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and reviews your medical claims as they come in from your healthcare providers. Then HealthLock's technology flags and alerts you to any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and frauds to help you and your family save. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from selected past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save more than $130 million. Saving on medical bills starts with knowing where to look, and HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. 
Do it today before you see another health care provider. That's healthlock.com. 